Okay, um, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese's support for Israel's atrocities against the Palestinians in Gaza is not an aberration. I think that's important to understand. In August of uh, this year, the Labor Party leaders blocked a vote at the party's national conference on Australian recognition of Palestine. Australia does not recognise Palestine, yet supports the two-state theory. But the Labor tradition of supporting Zionism dates much, um, much further back to the birth of Israel in 1947 and 48. Uh, the, Labor, the ALP supported Zionism despite the party's own quite sordid history of anti-Semitism. And its support has little to do with economic links. Uh, in ni- 2019 and 20, Israel was only Australia's 45th largest two-way trading partner and only the 50th largest export market at $1.3 billion, which is not really much uh, in terms of economics. But the New South Wales Premier of uh, uh, Chris Minns talked about Australia having this trading relationship when we blockaded the, the Zim ships. Instead, Israel support, um, uh, support for Israel has always been a strategic question with the Australian Indian class, looking to the dominant imperial power of the day, which was first Britain, and then over time the US, as a guarantor of the Australian domination of its own South Pacific region. And the foreign minister of the time, external affairs minister, is a guy called Herbert V. Ebbett, otherwise known as Doc Ebbett. He was the, uh, the minister throughout the 1940s, that is, throughout the war and the, the post-war period. And Ebbett had this to say in June of 1943. The two British democracies, Australia and New Zealand, are trustees of democratic civilisation in the South Pacific. He then added... The civilisation of the Australian community is based upon long European tradition. But while our geographical position has developed local characteristics in our social and political outlook, it has needed a war to force upon the Australian people the full consciousness of the fact that their responsibility and their rights are primarily those of a key Pacific nation. So that's his outlook in in terms of Australia's position in, in the world. In, in 1947, the Australian connection to what was to become uh, uh, Israel was British imperialism. And for Britain, that meant Middle East oil and the shipping routes of the, the Suez Canal. And you can see that playing out today. And they were, they were part of the British interest in the Middle East. According to a biographer of Ebert, Ken Buckley, uh, these were the major considerations, oil and, and the Suez Canal, in ensuring Australian support for Britain during the United Nations Assembly debate over the United UN Subcommittee on Palestine report. Herbert Doc uh, Ebert um, was, was the External Affairs Minister uh, in, throughout the 40s and the, the Labor Opposition Leader throughout the 1950s. He was instrumental in the UN partition of the British Mandate of Palestine and, uh, and then in his role as President of the UN from 1948 to 49. Australia's support for the partition of Palestine and its recognition of Israel during the height of the Zionist ethnic cleansing of Palestine, known in Arabic as the Nakba, was due in part to Ebert's desire to maintain the British uh, Empire, which he saw as central for Australian interests. In December 1941, Australia turned to the US for military support in the war, when Britain could no long, uh, could not do it. But once the Second World War was over in 1945, Australia again looked to Britain for its defence needs, while still encouraging the US to stay in the South Pacific. Um, this is, this is a, the juggling act that the Australian ruling class does. 
A Labor wartime Prime, Minister, Prime Ministers, John Curtin and Ben Shifley, were, as um, the author Gideon Haig put it, invested in the British Empire's continuity, even though Australia had looked to, to the US. In late 1944, Evett told the US Ambassador to Australia, Nelson T. Johnson, that the Commonwealth Government did not want to do anything that would lend colour to the belief that it was trying to part company with the British Empire. Another biographer, uh, uh, Peter Crockett, wrote, Evett aimed for a comprehensive post-war arrangement involving the US and other powers, but principally Britain and New Zealand, to protect the region. And when you, you look at Evett, what he says in 1944, Evett had anticipated a regional scheme of the British Empire, which was rebadged as the British Commonwealth, and it having a scheme of defence, but he could get no indication of, of the specific British planning. In 1947, the Northern Pacific looked like it was going to be, due to American planning, uh, to contain communism in Asia. And, they, and to do that, the Americans were going to re-industrialise Japan, which is a, a common bogey in Australia. Therefore, Ebert looked to the British Commonwealth in the region to act as it hoped it would act generally, to strengthen Australia's hands against American plans for the future. And at a Commonwealth Prime Minister's conference in October of 1948, Ebert also wanted urgent British Commonwealth defence planning in the region. Australia's constantly pestering the British Come, come to the party. Tell us what your plans are. Ebert also um, wanted to join the table of the big four powers. Now, this might surprise you, but the big four powers we're talking about is the US, Russia, Britain and China. Because in 1943, there was a conference in Cairo in November, which Shanghai Czech of the Kuomintang attended in the planning of the war strategy in the Pacific and the shape of the Pacific post-war world. Australia did not attend. Ebert argued that the war's end, uh, by, by the war's end, Australia's successful war effort will have converted Australia into a great nation. And he added, we cannot escape such a destiny. In truth, we will be the trustees, not only for British civilisation, but for the, a decent world order in the Pacific sphere of influence. So the picture I'm trying to paint for you is that Ever is as a former New South Wales um, uh, MLA, a High Court judge for 10 years. He'd visited Britain, he'd gone to the various uh, War Cabinet meetings and he'd actually even been appointed to their Privy Council, which is their highest court. Ever is fully integrated into the British worldview of their preeminence of racism towards uh, Arabs and he understands the Balfour Declaration of 1917 of a Jewish homeland in Palestine. So that's whoever it is. In Palestine itself, in July of 1946, the Zionist terrorist militia, the Urban, blew up the King David Hotel in Jerusalem, which housed the officers of the British Mandate. The bomb killed more than 90 British, Arab and Jewish people. The Zionist murderous action exposed the bankruptcy of British policy in the mandate and the British hurriedly passed the Palestinian question to the newly formed United Nations as the mandate was due to expire in May of 1948. Uh, Buckley writes, In fact, ever intervened in the issue only when the British made it clear the mandate was becoming an acute embarrassment to, the, to them. So Ebert sees himself as this kind of troubleshooter for the, for the, British, um, for the uh, British Empire. 
Ebert favoured the partition of Palestine not only because it would rescue the situation for Britain and earn Australia uh, uh, points uh, in, 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 you know, in uh, Britain taking Australia seriously, but because he also wanted to protect Australia's racist laws from United Nations interference. If Palestine became a unified majority Arab state, it could, under UN rules, be forced to admit Jewish immigrants on the grounds of non-discrimination. This precedent could then be applied to the white Australia policy, whichever favoured here in Australia. As the Australian delegation to the UN, which Ebert led, saw it, it could lead to the UN attempting to open the doors to Australia to Asiatic immigration, and that Australian immigration policy was contrary to the principles of the United Nations Charter, insofar as it involved racial discrimination. So Ebert's doing this juggling act. He wants the British in as well, but he also wants to preserve the white Australia policy. For Ebert, Palestine had to be partitioned so that a Jewish-only immigration to their own state would not contravene UN principles. Haig wrote of Ebert, no task so consumed energies as the division of Palestine. Another author, John Murphy, noted the Americans proposed a renewal of the British trusteeship to Britain, but Ebert remained actively committed to partition. Uh, Murphy added, his stance had little to do with the Holocaust. Indeed, there's a long history of anti-Semitism inside the Australian ruling class. As a Zionist historian Susan Rutland wrote in The Conversation in 2023, open anti-Semitism started to become prevalent in the 1880s in Australia with the emergence of Australian nationalism and the campaign for federation. It was further fuelled by fears of an influx of Jews fleeing the pogroms of Russia. The small numbers of Russian refugees were not welcomed by politicians, unions, the media, and the popular publications of the day, the Bulletin and the Truth, voiced anti-Jewish racism as well as anti-Chinese racism. The ALP was at its best ambivalent about Israel due to its own anti-Semitism. The Labor Party has long drawn on the deep well of Australian racism and conservatism, which is fostered by the, by the ruling class. But as a contradiction, as a capitalist workers' party, the Labor has chosen to redirect working-class hatred of capitalists in a racist direction via anti-Semitism. In, in 1915, the left-wing federal uh, Victorian MP Frank Anstey republished his series of anti-Jewish newspaper articles as a pamphlet called The Kingdom of Shylock as part of his opposition to World War I. There were large waves of Jewish refugees worldwide before and after World War II, including Holocaust survivors fleeing Europe. In July of 1942, a speaker from the Zionist World Jewish Congress, who addressed the New South Wales Labor Council on the fate of European Jewry, was roundly heckled with anti-Jewish capitalist slurs. Before World War II, there were fewer than 40,000 Jews in Australia. Zionists were, as elsewhere, in a minority until the horrors of the Holocaust. Now, according to Buckley, Zionists were trying to influence Ebert as early as 1942, but he can find no evidence that this lobbying shaped the, um, uh, Ebert's uh, opinion on the partition of Palestine. In, indeed, Ebert held out on, this, on Jerusalem. Jerusalem was what the Zionists want, wanted that in the partition, and he wanted to keep it an international city um, because it was worshipped by the Catholic Church and the Labor Party had Catholic Church influences here in Australia. 
The arrival in Australia of Jew, Jewish refugees after World War II was met with an anti-Semitic outcry in the newspapers as well as statements by a whole range of MPs, Labor, Labor and Liberal. Resolutions against Jewish migration was passed um, by such nationalist groups as the RSL and the White Australian Natives Association. In 1946, in response to the anti-Jewish hysteria, the ALP Minister for Immigration, Arthur Corwell, made administrative changes to ensure the Jewish community stayed a minority of the population at 0.5%. His restrictions included a 25% limit on Jewish passengers on ships bound for Australia and later extended that to airplane arrivals. Now, in using... His, his role in the United Nations to, to cement Australia's link with Britain in the post-World War effectively became the nation-maker of Israel. As Zionist Dan, Daniel uh, Mandel wrote, Everett's preference for the Jewish cause put him in no moral quandary. Even when Israel carried out massacres of a whole Palestinian villages like the Air Yassin in April in, uh, 1948. Ever's loyalty was to Australian capitalism's needs, and Arab deaths mattered little in that equation. Uh, he disliked Arab support for Germany and Italy in World War II, which had flowed from them being um, governed quite brutally by the British. And he chaired the UN's ad hoc committee on the Palestinian question from September 1947, ignoring the uh, opposition to the UN partition plan and a proposal for a one-state solution from the Arab Higher Committee, the Palestinian leadership. Following um, Palestine's partition in November 1947, Evert was elected the fourth president of the UN General Assembly from July 48 to June of 49. The partition of Palestine was also supported by Russia, adding further confusion to the international left. Australia um, repeatedly um, submitted resolutions calling for Israel to be admitted to be a UN member state. One such resolution failed in in 1948 and another succeeded in 1949. Australia formally recognised Israel on the 27th of April 1949, more than three months before the UN did so in May. Ebert's partition plan in 1947 meant that Israel would get 55% of the land with 30% of the population. And this uh, meant the views of the overwhelming majority of Palestinians, 70% of the population, were simply disregarded. And most of the Jewish population had only arrived in the previous 20 years uh, as settlers with British support. The countryside was still overwhelmingly Palestinian, with only 5.7% of the land owned by Jewish settlers in 1947 and the bulk of the Jewish population living in the cities. This meant dividing the land into two states was bound to bring disaster. The Zionists had already publicly announced their intention to expel and ethnically cleanse Palestinian Arabs to establish their state, but the UN plan made no effort to stop this. By 1949, Israel's military had seized 80% of Palestine by war, terror and theft, none of which concerned Ebert. Since then, every Labor, um, uh, federal Labor leader has committed themselves to Israel and the oppression of the Palestinians. It's pretty hard to... But there's a thing called the Australia-Israel Labor Dialogue, and it boasts of an unbroken line of Labor leaders supporting Israel. So Chifley, Ebert, Corwell, Whitlam, Hayden, Hawke, Keating, Beasley, Crean, Gillard, Rudd, Shorten, and now Albanese. 
Now, Bob Hawke's support for Israel was very public and very nauseating long before he became Prime Minister in 1983. His position flowed from the backing of US imperialism, and the US saw Hawke as, uh, as an asset for, for, for themselves in Australia. And especially after Israel defeated three Arab countries led by radical nationalists in the Six-Day War of June of 1967. Egypt, Jordan and Syria threatened US interests in the regions and were allied to Russia. Israel's smashing victory over them made the US sit up and take notice. And prior to that, Israel had been part of an expedition by Britain and France in 1956 against Egypt, which the US came out and, and stopped and basically said to Britain and France, you are no longer uh, in control of the Middle East, we are. And Israel had lined up with, with Britain and France. So America's uh, was ambivalent about Israel. During the early 1960s, US loans to Israel averaged a paltry $32 million a year, reflecting US disinterest in, in the country. After the 1967 war, US loans uh, to Israel increased so much that between 1970 and 74, they rose to $658 million a year. That's a 20 times increase. The newfound usefulness of Israel to US imperialism meant Australia's rulers had to take notice. Hawke, then a president of the ACTU, visited Israel for the first time in July of 71. And by this time, the 1960s and 70s wave of radicalisation, in particular opposition to the US war in Vietnam, had actually created an audience for Palestinian solidarity within the Labor Party. The Victorian branch supported the Palestinian Liberation Organisation and forced an even-handedness approach on, of Palestine onto the Federal Party, positions which Hawke fought against, especially as Labor uh, President um, when he was, when he onwards when he became that in 1973. Labor's support for Israel, due to its links to British and then US imperialism, has put it on the wrong side of history ever since. Now, while individual MPs and branches may support Palestine, no MP aspiring to the leadership in the party can ever, can ever do so. Backing Israel is seen as a litmus test of loyalty to Australian national interests and its imperialist allies. Albanese's journey from being an MP who spoke out uh, for Palestine to being a Prime Minister putting Israel's genocide in Gaza fits the, um, that pattern perfectly. And Albanese's decision to support Israel is not a personal whim or a failing, but he buckles to the ruling class. And you can see that when they came out in that statement in 600 of them in the national newspapers in late November. They want loyalty to US imperialism. All those who support the oppressed, in particular indigenous people, stand with Palestine. Labor's commitment to ruling for Australian capitalism means it can never do that.